Good morning. <laughs> wasn't a very good response, but... Oh, thank you, darling. <laughs> I just want to pass on some news that Pete and Brenda passed their citizenship test during the week. And they got 100%. Yeah, well, not quite yet. They got a... Within the next couple of months, they'll be going through the formality of, uh, of swearing their allegiance to Australia. I wonder how many of, uh, I don't know if I'd get 100% in that type of test, but uh, good on you guys. Um, and, and after that happens, at which time they'll be able to follow the Australian cricket team. It's a hard time to follow them right at this moment. We lost the Ashes, we've lost our captain. We did beat New Zealand in the football last night. So... Um, so we, we were up, up somewhere. But um, I, I mentioned the citizenship because I want you to have a look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and tell me that as a Christian, where is your citizenship? Where is your permanent citizenship as a, as a Christian? Is it uh, here on this earth as uh, Pete and Brenda will be going through and putting their, raising their right hand or whatever they do and uh, swearing their allegiance to Australia? Someone yell out to me, where's our permanent citizenship? It's in heaven. Praise God for that. But where are we actually residing right now? On earth, here. We're citizens of heaven, but at the moment we're residents of earth. And because of that, you and I are governed by government authorities of all kinds. Good and bad. So the question is, how do we maintain our faith in God and yet live our lives here on this earth when we have authorities over us who do not know the Lord? That's the issue that Solomon addresses this morning. That's what we're going to look at as we continue our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. So please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 2. Solomon writes in his journal about the wisdom of obeying human authorities. Now remember, from last time I spoke that, uh, that Solomon is talking about spiritual wisdom here. He's not talking about earthly wisdom. He's not talking about what Proverbs 14 verse 12 says. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's not the wisdom that we're looking at here. We're not looking at what seems right in your eyes or in my eyes because that its end or that end is, is in death. And Solomon has recognised, and we looked at that last time, that there is earthly wisdom and spiritual wisdom, two different types of wisdom. I'd like you to turn with me to James chapter 3 because he also wrote about this two-tiered wisdom. James chapter 3, I'm going to read a few verses starting from verse 13. <clears throat> now, I want you to keep your finger in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, of course, because we're going to do a bit of a Bible study this morning. There's quite a bit of material to cover in chapter 8. I'm not going to examine every passage or this passage verse by verse. I think it's going to be more profitable for me this time to make some observations about the context of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and then take you and 
to other Bible passages that will help illustrate and expand uh, the principles that uh, Solomon is bringing out. But let's have a look at these two tiers of wisdom in, in James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, which is what we'll look at a bit today, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Let's just pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time to be able to look at wisdom. We thank you for the journal that we have. We thank you, Lord, that we know from the scriptures that Solomon was given wisdom by you. And so, Lord, we seek to learn the wisdom from above and know the difference between that and our own thoughts and our own wisdom that comes from down below. Lord, help us to look at this passage and to look anew at what it means to be wise as we live on this earth. We thank you for this journal. We thank you for your scripture. As we open it, Lord, may your spirit take the words and use them in our lives so that we can declare that we are certainly doers of the word and not just hearers. And we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. There was a piece of graffiti that was prominent in the 70s, in the 1970s, that says, don't bother to vote, the government always gets in. Now really, that could have come straight from Australia. It didn't say where, which part of the world, but it sums up the cynicism and the apathy that many of us voters have towards the governments that we've previously elected. And it can cause us to not want to listen to the present government because I didn't vote for them, so I'm not going to listen to them. But here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 2, Solomon turns that on its head. In fact, it turns a lot of our thinking about our government on its head. And Solomon tells us in verse 2, he says, I say, keep the king's commandments for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Now, we don't have a king in Australia. At least we don't call him that. We have a prime minister. And he represents the power and the authority of the government that we have here in Australia. And here we have King Solomon, himself the head of the, state, of the nation of Israel, He's teaching us why we should obey the government. And he begins this section with a command. Keep the command of the king. But I want you to notice, because this is the crux of the whole passage, I want you to notice that this obedience is not for the sake of the king. I think you might have noticed that. 
This obedience to the king is for the sake of the one who placed the king on the throne. It's for the sake of your oath to God. And we have to remember that because that to me is the crux of this whole passage. Keep the commands of the king for the sake of your oath towards God. And so what Solomon is clearly doing in this uh, passage is he's connecting the earthly rule of kings to our relationship with God. And even though he doesn't make the point implicitly here, and we'll go through other scriptures that does make it very implicit, Solomon certainly implies the principle that we're going to find throughout the Bible, and that is all earthly authority is ordained by God and should be obeyed. All earthly authority is ordained by God and should be obeyed, whether just or unjust, whether democratic, whether despotic. All comes under the providential care of God for the good of man. This is hard to take. But it's fact. In fact, our response to God-given earthly authority reveals what we really believe about God's sovereignty. I'll say that again. Our response to the authority that God has placed us under reveals what you and I really think about God's sovereignty. Do you believe in God's sovereignty? There's a lot of heads being shaken. Then the other side of the coin is that you have to believe that here in Australia, the liberals are in power because God put them there. And we see this most clearly in Paul's letters to the church at Rome. So keep your hand in or your finger or whatever you got in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and turn with me to Romans chapter 13. (coughs) Paul makes very clearly or shows very clearly what Solomon is writing about. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if Paul actually got it from Solomon in his writings. Romans 13 verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now that's pretty clear, isn't it? You can't get any clearer than that, whether that authority is despotic, whether it's good, whether it's bad, that every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And although Paul is referring here primarily to the governing authorities, there are other forms of authority which have been established by God as well. Just as I mentioned, the relationships described throughout the Bible, things like God has established authority within the family. God has established authority in the workplace, in the church, as well as the governmental authority in our society. And since God is the one who established all these forms of authority throughout the scriptures, then to me it's logical that if we rebel against authority, we're rebelling against God. It's just logical thinking, taking one aspect to another. If God put the the authority there and we rebel against that authority, then we're rebelling against God. And Paul 
continues that thought in in verse 2 of Romans 13. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. This is pretty radical thinking. We don't normally think like this, but it's very clear. And so if you really think about it, when we refuse to honour and obey the earthly authority that God has put in place, we're basically indicating that we don't trust God to work through that authority that he has placed there for our good or for our learning, our growing, whatever reason that God has placed that authority there. So in verses 2 and 3 of Ecclesiastes 8 that we've read, Solomon is saying that a wise man, someone who with wisdom from above, not what we think or what seems to please us, but wisdom from above, a wise man recognises that God has ordained, ordained authority in our lives and therefore our primary obligation with regard to that is to obey. And verse 3 just adds in the end of Ecclesiastes 8, after all they're going to do what pleases them anyway. Now, Proverbs 24.21 summarises this to me very well. That says, Proverbs 24.21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the King, and do not join with those who do otherwise. Don't rejoin those rebellion groups. My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not join with those who do not do that. So keep your finger in Romans 13 and go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 4 and 7 where Solomon goes on to provide his readers with some very practical reasons why we should obey our government leaders. So here are the the reasons. Verse 4. Where the word of the king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment because for every matter there is a time and judgment though the misery of man increases greatly for he does not know what will happen so who can tell him when it will occur? I'll read the New Living Translation just to bring the context in for you. The king's command is backed by great power. No one can resist it or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? So generally speaking, from that passage... When you wisely obey the king's commands, you won't get in trouble with the king. All will be well. And the principle has modern modern day consequences. And the one that comes to my head straight away is uh, dealing with the bureaucracy. Have you ever dealt with bureaucracy? They can make you fume. But we achieve nothing by exasperating those who are in authority. You won't get a sympathetic hearing from someone that you're discourteous to. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. 
Back in chapter 3, Solomon wrote, there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And it's the same here. There's a purpose. There's a time for everything as wise people. It says, those who obey him will not be punished. See, when you drive the speed limit, when you drive under the speed, you don't have to worry about speed cameras. When you pay your taxes, you don't have to worry about the tax man ringing you up and saying, I want an audit. When you do your work faithfully on the job, it doesn't concern you that the boss is watching you. When you've got nothing to hide, you don't care if Big Brother is watching you. I never understood why people have so much problem about Big Brother watching you. If you're doing what is right, it doesn't matter what they're watching. Solomon is saying, save yourself grief, obey the laws of the land. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And it says, not only will you be pleasing the Lord but you will be avoiding trouble. So go back to Romans chapter 13 because Paul says the same thing again in verses 3 and 4. Romans 13 verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Again, so clear as Paul in his writings mainly is, he's, He's saying he's God's minister for you for good. But if you do evil, beware, because he's also God's minister who holds the sword. He doesn't hold it in vain. He's the avenger to execute wrath on those who practice evil. So you don't practice evil against the authorities and they won't execute wrath on you. It makes sense, doesn't it? Paul and Solomon are making sense. But this obligation to obey authorities often uh, raises questions. Am I obligated to obey everything that the government commands? What if I disagree with the government? What if I don't like the speed limit? What if I want to do 80 because the road's lovely and you're only telling me I can do 70? I want to do 80. What if I disagree with paying taxes? I pay too much. So I'm going to just put this in this column so it brings my income tax down. What if you don't like them? Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. Our passage in Ecclesiastes, I've read it through and through and I can't find anything that limits my responsibility to obeying only in the times when I agree with the government. The same is also true in the passage we've just looked at in Romans 13. It says, let every soul be subject to governing authorities. There's no um, way that I can read into that that I can only do what I agree to. 
Let's look at a couple of more passages that deal with the obedience to the government authorities. Peter wrote about this. So it wasn't just Paul and Solomon. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. So Peter joins in and he says in that passage, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. There again, Peter's brought out the idea that it's not for submitting to the government for their sake, it's for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So the government has a purpose. God has placed them there. We obey them for the Lord's sake because God has put them there for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Again, go against the authorities and you'll be punished. Obey them, you'll be praised. Look at Titus chapter 3 when Paul was writing to Titus. Look at Titus 3 chapter 1. Uh, sorry, Titus chapter 3 verse 1. So Titus 3 verse 1 simply says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. I don't see any exceptions there. So it seems quite clear that we have a responsibility to, to obey the government authorities. Whether I agree with what they say or whether I don't agree. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm to obey the governing authorities, knowing who put them there, knowing what they're there for, even when I don't agree with them. Now, even Jesus, he was tried to be tricked. They tried, the Pharisees tried to trick him by saying, well, who should we pay tax to? And Jesus simply said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. As far as I can tell, and as far as what I understand from the Scriptures, there are two exceptions. There are two exceptions to my responsibility to obey the governing authorities. And before I share these with you, let me just caution that at least here in this country right now, there are going to be very few times when these two exceptions are going to apply. The first exception would be when the government requires me to do something that is prohibited in the Scriptures. An example is obviously Daniel and his friends. Now they were told that they were to eat this food that the king supplied and they refused and because it would violate certain provisions of the law. Later, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was ordered, were ordered to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar they refused because it would have violated the commandment not to worship other gods. And now just in conversation this morning, I found out that if you're in America and uh, you have a marriage license and you are asked to marry a gay couple, that if you say no, which is what we would say, then you have to hand in your, your license, your marriage license. I've just found out that if you're a judge and you, the judge says, no, I can't condone that, then he was told, well, you need to stand down. 
so they can put others there who will be able to condone marriage, gay marriage. It's not happened here in Australia yet, but what will, what am I going to do? What is Jeff going to do with our marriage license if the, our government says you have to marry them when, if, if and when it comes in? The scriptures tell me it is wrong. And so if the government tells me to do that, then I will say no. I will simply say no. So there are times and could be times when we have to think about it when the government requires me to do something that the scripture says I can't and shouldn't do. The second exception would be when the government prohibits me from doing something that the scripture says I must do. An example is for us who are going through Acts is a clear example is Peter and John. Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin. They were sharing the gospel in the streets and they were commanded, do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus any longer. And these are the words they, they responded with and it's a, a verse that we might have to learn off by heart because we might have to say it one day. And that verse says, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you, the government, rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now we're not in that position. The government haven't told us not to, to share the gospel. But if other countries, they have. How would you go in China? How would you go in, in Vietnam or North Vietnam? How would you go in any of those countries? The Bible says we are to share the gospel. The government over there is saying, no, you can't. What would you do? If we find ourselves in one of those situations, we need to be very careful that we make sure we're being asked to violate a specific command of Scripture and not just our own conviction or our own opinion. And the interesting point is, that when we do disobey authorities, even for the right reasons, there is no guarantee in Scripture or anywhere else that God will protect us from the consequences. You disobey the government, God says we are to, if, if he says to do it, but there's no guarantee that he will protect us. The three Hebrew men were thrown into the furnace. Praise God he did come and take them out. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, but it did happen. Peter and John suffered continuous persecution as they continued to preach the gospel. And so wisdom from above helps us to understand the situation and the people involved. It helps us to figure out the right thing to do at the right time. And Solomon says we need to think through these things. From the middle of verse 5, back in Ecclesiastes 8, he says... For those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. He makes it quite clear there is a time. There is a purpose. In most cases when we deal with people in authority over us, we should pick our battles Choose carefully when we decide to fight those battles. Before we do anything, we have to exercise wisdom. Seek to find the right thing to do, the right time to do it. 
In fact, a wise person, a wisdom from above, has their hearts attuned to God all the time. You will know what God's timing is and what God's judgment is in this matter and you'll know what to say and when to say it at the right time. You know, Jonathan stood boldly for David before King Saul because the time was right. Nathan was able to stand before King David without fear of retribution to tell him he was the the one that is in trouble. Timing is essential to every area of life. The golfer or the cricketer who is out of form is not timing the ball right. The footballer who mistimes his tackle commits a bad foul. The Prime Minister is urged to call a general election just at the right time. Even the God who controls destiny of man has a perfect time for everything. His own son came into the world, as Galatians 4.4 says, when the fullness of time had come. God has a perfect time for everything. And that's why he says, from the middle of verse 5, those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right, for there is a time and there is a way for everything. Verses 8 and 9 of Ecclesiastes, where we'll finish up this morning, finishes on keeping the king's command, but there are some things that even the king, or our government in our case, has no control over. Verse 4 says, if you remember, where the word of king is, there is power. But verse 8 says, no one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, And no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. In these two verses Solomon describes the clear limitation of the government. And the first one you can see is that the government has no control over life and death. Now, they think they might, but death is wholly in God's hands. No one else has control over your death other than God. No government, no king, no anyone. And that's what Solomon says. And secondly, he says, Kings and governments are incapable of preventing wickedness. He says, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to wickedness. Wickedness cannot deliver wickedness. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. In fact, governments are usually the cause of that wickedness. Throughout history and even today, a lot of well-meaning Christians have attempted to address many of the problems of wickedness in our world through the political process. But the problem, as Paul makes clear in Ephesians, is that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The battle we're involved in is spiritual, it's not political. And so the weapons that we use in that battle are to be spiritual and not political. 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 3 says this. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, 
which we're doing, we walk and we live in the daily lives in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. It is God who will pull down the strongholds. We are walking in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. Our weapons are mighty in God. Now, I'm not saying that we should completely avoid any participation in the political process. That's not what I'm saying. There's certainly nothing wrong with supporting and voting for candidates who support our beliefs and our value systems as Christians. There are always petitions for you to sign when Christians are fighting an evil government bill and there's petitions even now for the marriage uh, equality bill. Family Voice are a great example of this. If you go to their webpage, they will have a petition for you to sign. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is that we shouldn't expect that our government, (coughs) no matter who's in office, is going to solve the wickedness of this world. Because wickedness has a spiritual root cause. It's not going to be solved by any politician. Our primary responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is to what? You tell me. Make disciples? That's what Jesus left us with. And so I certainly don't want my politics to offend someone and keep them from coming to know Jesus Christ. If the world is going to hate me, I want them to hate me because of my faith in Christ and not because of my politics. You know, ultimately it makes absolutely no difference if an unsaved person is for or against abortion. It makes absolutely no difference if an unsaved person is for or against gay marriage. (coughs) Whether they're liberal or labour or they're a greenie, apart from Jesus Christ, that person will spend eternity separated from God in a place of everlasting torment. You see, God is not interested in changing people's politics. He's much more interested in changing hearts. And if that's where God's focus lies, then that should be our focus. But the fact is that we can't rely on the government to solve the spiritual problems. But that also has a positive aspect to my life or for our lives. It also means that my ability to live a meaningful, abundant life is not dependent on any government or any politician. No matter what I think about any government, any government official, about their policies, I can live the kind of life that God wants me to live. I can do that. As I said earlier, that while it's true that we're citizens of heaven, and that we are strangers and sojourners here on this earth, the Bible is clear that we are still to make the most of our lives here. Eternal life is not something that you're going to get when you die. You already have eternal life. It includes our day-to-day lives right here and right now. And a great example of this is when the prophet Jeremiah warned God's people about 
their future exile in Babylon. But he also made it clear that while they were in captivity, they were to go on living their lives. Don't rebel against the government. Don't rebel as, as people who have been dragged there. This is what Jeremiah saw. This is what the Lord said. And Jeremiah recorded it in verse 29, verse 4 to 7. In fact, verse 4 starts, says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. And this is what he asks them to do. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I can't separate that from where we are at the moment. We might not be in exile, but we're certainly strangers in a land. We're certainly sojourners in a land. We are to build homes, we're to plant gardens, we're to eat, we're to marry, we're to have grandchildren, we're to multiply. Don't dwindle away. Work for the peace and the prosperity of our government. Where I have you now, pray to the Lord. Pray for their welfare because it will determine your welfare. Like those Israelites exiled in Babylon, we need to be the salt and the light in this world. We heard that last week. Well, the week before, I lose track of time. We need to be salt and light in this world. And we need to do that by being good citizens and obeying our government officials. And by doing what we can to promote the peace, promote prosperity, as God asked the Israelites to do in Babylon, and praying to God on behalf of our country, on behalf of our government. You know, as wicked as things may be in this country... Can you imagine what it would be like without the preserving and enlightening effort of devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Interestingly enough, you can read about that in Revelation when all Christians are taken from this world and you'll see what's left by reading Revelation. We are to be salt and light in the midst of decay and darkness understanding that one day Jesus Christ will return. Now, just to clarify myself, I'm not against Christian politicians and I thank the Lord for them. But I personally have come to a place where I recognise that my joy is not dependent on who's in office and what they say and what they do. And so with whatever time I have left on this earth, I'm, going, I'm not going to waste it by complaining about the government, about what's happening or even being active in politics. I will sign a petition when it's sent to me. The wise way to live is by submitting to the sovereignty of God, wisdom from above, and so forth, and therefore entrusting our lives, our body and our soul to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, Revelation 19.16 tells us, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will return that way. It will be written on his vesture. King of kings and Lord of lords. So when we submit to an earthly government, what we're really doing is honouring his eternal kingship because he placed them there. 
And so if we are wise, if we have wisdom from above, we will cling to Jesus Christ, living only in his grace, and in this way we'll be ready for death and we'll be ready for everything else that happens to us. Let's pray together. Father, we do want to thank you for this word. I thank you that it's not my word. It is yours. You have made it so very clear through your servant Solomon, through Peter, through Paul. There are times, Father, when you have shown us that we need to do what the government says that we shouldn't if it's your command. But Lord, there is a time and a place for everything. Help us to be wise from above. Help us to understand the situation. Help us to see particularly that we are to obey our rulers, not because they are the rulers or for their sake, but for your sake. We thank you, Father, that you are in control of all things, whether a despotic leader, a good leader, a bad leader. Lord, you have placed them there for our growth, for our strengthening and for whatever reason that you have. Lord, help us to to continue to trust you, to walk by faith and not by sight. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. sinful 